Hey, Unexplained Ones, this is Dr. Mounts, and thanks for tuning in to All Things Unexplained, where we talk about everything from Bigfoot to UFOs to astrophysics and everything in between. So if that sort of thing is for you, make sure to follow us wherever you podcast, along with a review and a rating. It takes a lot to get All Things Unexplained on the air, and this podcast is made possible by listeners like you. You can support the show by checking us out on Linktree at A-T-U Podcast. That's A-T-U Podcast. There you'll find links to all our socials. You can support us on Venmo. You can purchase your official All Things Unexplained merchandise. And you can even book us on Cameo. And now, let's get to the show. All Things Unexplained. Hosted by Dr. Mounts. Let's face it, we were always ready to roll without him anyway. <laughs> CJ Derringer. Ain't nobody perfect, right? And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly anything my whole life. I just free ball. Featuring Cajun Man. Uh, I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody. Roswell. Uh, there were over 300 civilian witnesses that have come forward in one way or the other and backed up the stories. I have no doubt that uh, there were two crashes, actually, one uh, near Corona and the other one uh, further away. And these were spoken about by um, Stanton Friedman. He wrote about both of them. And that bodies were found in both cases. Uh, there's plenty of evidence to that, uh, plenty of witness evidence. So. Absolutely, it happened, and these. this is the one thing that, again, we have to press uh, the Arrow Group and government to release information about Roswell. Well, 1967, I was a missile launch officer at Malmstrom Air Force Base, Montana. Uh, we had control of 10 nuclear missiles, and, and sometime in the evening, I get the first phone call from my security guard. And he said they'd been seeing some strange lights in the sky, making no noise, flying very fast, stopping on a dime, reversing course, making 90-degree turns, noiseless. Uh, he said they are not aircraft, sir. We had uh, reports in the uh, in the city of Great Falls uh, in the newspaper at the time of people seeing these strange lights. Um, and reporting them as UFOs. And um, uh, he calls back, and this time he's screaming into the phone. He's frightened. You can tell by his voice he was very frightened. He said he had all the guards out with their weapons drawn. They were looking at a uh, glowing red-orange object hovering above the front gate. It was a pulsating red-orange light. I, I told him, well, Make sure you secure the facility. I was injured and he had to hang up, so he hung up the phone. When I spoke with him, uh, the main guard, he said that he injured his hand. Mm. Uh, he didn't go into detail, but they did have to take him back because he, he cut his hand. Uh, okay. And then I, I got confirmation of that uh, from um, uh, another airman who had been in on security details uh, at Malmstrom and he said that when they got back to the barracks 
where where they all lived. Uh, uh, they talked about his injury, and he recalls it was either the fact that um, it was a result of him firing at the object, or uh, or cutting himself on barbed wire. So it, mm. he heard both stories. My uh, impression was that we were under some sort of an attack. Uh, from the way he was talking. He had all the guards out there with their weapons. It just felt like we were under attack. All our missiles started going no-go or shut down. They were probably down for about 24 hours, I'd I estimate. I did sense a communication uh, right after I hung up the phone uh, with the guard. I turned to look at my... Uh, status board and for some reason i um i got this message that uh they were going to shut them down they were going to shut the missiles down so i i felt i sensed that that was kind of a you know telepathic communication after thinking mm -hmm. about it for, for some time you know. however i want to emphasize that the um the ufo um that shut down our missiles simply disabled uh, the guidance and control system or the guidance system of the, of the, of the missiles by sending a signal uh, to a particular piece of hardware called the logic coupler, upset the, let's say the connections, the connection between the coupler and the actual guidance system. We had an inertial guidance system or gyros gyroscopes, you know, in a package. You know. Once he upset the basically upset a level platform, a level platform that was oriented in a particular direction. The missile couldn't be launched because it would not go on target. And that's all that happened. Uh, there was nothing, none of the electronics were fried. Everything was put back up on alert, like I said, within 24 hours. Uh, all they had to do was retarget each missile. And the same thing happened at the Echo Flight eight days earlier. It was uh, intentional. This was not, these were not random failures. In fact, uh, one of the documents we got from the Air Force stated uh, that fact, stated uh, was the effect that the possibility of, of shutting down uh, uh, these 10 missiles within seconds of each other was extremely remote. Yeah. Essentially, it shouldn't have happened. That's why I've concluded these were extraterrestrial by what I've described. We had absolutely nothing in the Air Force inventory that could have done what they did or the UFO did. Of course, that was, what, over 50 years ago. If the, if the Russians had had something that could do that, uh, certainly they would have bragged about it by now or demonstrated <laughs> to the world. Uh, it must have been from elsewhere off planet. We also had two um, uh, sites, the launch facilities where the missiles are actually located about a mile or so away. We had incursion lights at two of the facilities. So they, they got close to the sites and saw UFOs hovering over, over those two sites. After my commander uh, spoke to the command post, he turned to me and he said, the same thing happened at another site. And I thought it was that evening that the same thing had happened. 
but later on, I would find out it was the Echo Flight incident, which happened eight days earlier. In the Echo Flight case, which I've thoroughly researched, um, uh, the information uh, that they reported went directly to SAC headquarters, Strategic Air Command headquarters, and the Chief of Staff of the Air Force. And I know this because of the telex that we were get, able to get uh, telegram. Uh, we got mm -hmm. uh, under the Freedom of Information Act after I started researching this oh. in earnest. The next day, we were ordered to um, report to our squadron commander's office. Um, uh, when I talked to the guard the next day, uh, he wouldn't didn't want to talk to me. He, he had already been ordered not to speak to me. But uh, when we got back to the base, uh, we were ordered to report to the squadron commander's office. And there was a man from AFOSI, another officer from Air Force Office of Special Investigations, who ordered us to, uh, basically ordered us <laughs> to sign a non-disclosure agreement, specifically to this case, in which we would never speak to anyone about the, what happened. No one, absolutely no one, not even anybody in the Air Force. Uh, we were kind of uh, stifled, and we couldn't talk about it to each other after that point. There for another two years on crew duty, and we got no uh, debriefing on what happened to us or the Echo flight. Uh, we were never told about any investigations that were ongoing, and there were, there were investigations, I later found out. I wasn't, uh, uh, I didn't speak to anyone about this um, until 1994. 94, I was um, in a bookstore in Seattle, picked up a book called Above Top Secret by Timothy Good. True story, I opened the book up because that's how I usually uh, look to see if I'm interested in buying a book. So I open up to a random page and start reading, and this is page 301. On that page, there was a short paragraph talking about UFOs shutting down missiles in Montana in 1967, and also mentions 1966. I thought they were talking about my incident. I thought, wow, maybe the Air Force has declassified it. After giving it some thought, since uh, I was still under the NDA, you know, I'm and by the way, the severe penalties were itemized in that NDA, including a lot of jail time at Leavenworth Prison, by the way. It, it, spe it specified the prison, which is was the major federal, maybe still is, federal prison. Uh, I decided to go to uh, MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, mm -hmm. and, and uh, see if I could get an investigator to submit a FOIA request, Freedom of Information. And uh, so one gentleman called me back uh, named James Klotz. And uh, we worked together to uh, submit FOIA requests. Uh, I told him, don't say anything about UFOs. Just say uh, we're interested in this incident where missiles went down in Montana. And this was the Echo Flight incident. Because I thought that was my incident. That's that's yeah. the, that was what was uh, printed up in that story in uh, Above Top Secret. 
it mentioned echo flight. So we uh, sent sent the request and they said, you know, they wrote back and said, uh, this is classified. However, since it's been so long, we're going to declassify it. And we'll start sending you documents. So that's what they did. They Not realizing that it was a UFO incident. So after I received oh. the documents and they disclosed the fact that these missiles went down, I I went public and said this was my incident and there were UFOs involved. That's when I started to go public in 1994. After, after I started getting... Um, information from the Air Force uh, under the Freedom of Information Act and writing those books and going on talk shows at first, and my wife will confirm this, I I thought I had done my job, you know, by just talking about my incident, but uh, this is something that just, I was, after that, I just became committed to making Mm -hmm. sure that the public was aware of these kinds of incidents and I later met up with uh, Robert Hastings, who wrote the book uh, UFOs and Nukes, and uh, realized there were many, many incidents. And then uh, other witnesses came to me to write about their stories, and some of those are in that second book I told you about. So I I just couldn't let it go. I I feel like I said, uh, once I accept the fact that some of these have happened, I'd write about them, talk to people. I feel responsible for informing the public, and so that's where I am today. I'm I'm uh, continually involved. It's kind of taken over my life. 1985, I was staying with my, uh, of course, my wife, and I had two children at a particular house in Manhattan Beach, California. Sometime in the middle of the night, uh, I wake up. Uh, there's a, I see a blue light coming from the living room. We don't have any blue lights in the living room. And then uh, I wake my wife up and ask her if she sees the blue light. She says yes. And I say, well, I'm going to have to go check it out. Could be a burglar. So I try to get up off the bed, and all of a sudden I'm paralyzed. I can't move. I remember struggling intensely. This was not a dream. I, because I remember struggling uh, intensely to um, get my mobility back, couldn't move. I turned to my wife and asked for help, and she now was unconscious. So uh, next thing I realized is there's an odd, uh, looks like someone in the bedroom door with a hood on. I can't make out the face. In fact, it seemed to me like... um, it was blackened, or I, I just couldn't make out any face. And after that, I'm aware of what I think of our small children uh, in the room. Uh, that's the way they seem to me. And again, I don't recall what they looked like, except that they were small. I'm lifted off the bed and taken towards the window. I think to myself, these children won't know how to open the latch. I lock the window. They take me right through the window. I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's what happened. Took me right through the window. Next, I'm on board, apparently on board a craft, um, uh, lying on a table. And I'm being shown a needle, uh, a long needle. 
with long bony fingers being held right in front of my eyes. They want me to see this needle. They say uh, telepathically again. Uh, we're going to insert this in your groin area. It's not going to hurt. Well, they started to do that. And it was very, very painful. I expressed that. It was very painful. And all of a sudden, the pain goes away. Presume they took a sample of sperm. After that, uh, it set me up on the table. There were two small beings on either side of me that escorted me to a area that was built into the side of the craft, uh, like a bench area. They sat me down and, um, and they took me over to another area where a Appeared to be a doctor or nurse, uh, turned me around and poked their fingers down my spine like that. That was it. Uh, then they escorted me through a curved hallway. And again, I was not walking, I was floating uh, around a curved hallway and then bright white light. And I was back in my bed. Uh, the next morning, I didn't remember any of this. None of it. Neither did my wife. I've heard so many stories that make me believe that they are producing hybrids. Hybrid them and us. For what reason, I don't know. That's up to uh, discussion, speculation. So I couldn't tell you why, but I'm convinced they are producing hybrids. And people, yeah, I don't think they try to harm people uh, for the most part. I think people do get frightened, but people come back with uh, some uh, re recall their experiences on board with much more detail. I know they're taking children at a young age, maybe trying to educate them in some paranormal topics, uh, kinesiology, things like that. the International UFO Cabal or secret group that's operating on an international level. This goes back to the cabal that I was talking about. The people within intelligence agency, the, the people that are involved with this cabal, which is this group that's bent on keeping these secrets, are individuals. Like, for example, CIA. Let's take CIA, for example. I'm sure there are people within CIA that are very knowledgeable about UFOs and then others that uh, the great majority of other agents in CIA are not. It's a very complex, secretive thing we're dealing with. On the public side, uh, we're going to have a tough time breaking into that cabal group and getting real information. The public has a right to know uh, about the UFO phenomenon because the government has been hiding these secrets for over 70 years, and we need to know what our government is doing. It's part of our democratic principles that the public be informed in order to know whether we want our government to, uh, like you say, shoot down these objects or or welcome them or something I mean, uh, else. Uh, you know, um, this is a complex situation, and... Uh, the public needs to have more information and there's people out there that are just bent on secrecy and that needs to change. And that's why I'm so pumped up to uh, keep pressing, keep pushing for disclosure.
So it happens that on the same evening, um, there was another UFO sighting by a civilian truck driver uh, just outside of uh, Great Falls, about 35 miles, a little town called Belt. He was driving his truck and uh, saw this bright white, uh, white light uh, kind of uh, pacing him uh, to his left. Uh, he stops his truck, uh, gets out, and this light kind of blinks at him. <laughs> Literally, this is what he said. Uh, the light blinked at him and then landed in a, a gully. He stopped the first uh, car he, uh, that came by and asked him to call the highway patrol. The highway patrol came and they both saw the object. This, by this time, the object had risen uh, above the ground, and then they saw the object land again. Both the highway patrolman and the truck driver saw it. They uh, quickly reported to the, um, the sheriff, uh, Cascade County, and they reported to the Air Force. So the Air Force mm -hmm. got involved. Lieutenant Colonel Chase, who was the base uh, UFO officer, as a matter of fact, because he was working with the Condon investigation at the time. So he was he was the base operations officer and UFO officer. And there was a large write-up that he made uh, of that evening about this, what we call the belt sighting. But in that write-up, uh, he talks about um, radar sightings over the base, at least one object. And that was written up in the Great Falls Tribune also. Uh, in 1966, uh, there was another incident at Minot Air Force Base. Again, all 10 missiles were shut down during a UFO incident. The primary witness uh, right now is Dave Shindeli, who's also spoken to Arrow and given his testimony. And there are living witnesses that, that will support him if, if they come forward. 1968, again, Minot Air Force Base. Um, a B-52 crew, an entire crew, Brad Runyon, who lives uh, near you in Kentucky, actually drew a, a picture of what he saw when his B-52, he was a co-pilot, flew over a launch facility again at Minot and was able to sketch drawing of that object. It, it, had, it had a strange shape, but that was later confirmed by a general officer. They got debriefed the entire uh, B-52 crew. This is very well documented, very well documented. Uh, all the crew members have been interviewed. Cattle mutilations are very real, a big mystery, and they are associated with UFO sightings. There have been many, many reports of people seeing UFOs in and around the areas of cattle mutilations. There's a very good book called Mystery Stalks the Prairie, Keith Wolverton. And that, I think, is, if you're really interested in that subject, uh, yeah, try to read that. I know the government also had a contract with the sheriff's office in Montana to study this for the government, Department of Agriculture. As you know, Dr. Heineck was hired by the Air Force, really, to help them with disinformation initially. And then I'm going to give some credit to um, Dr. James McDonald, who was a scientist and uh, atmospheric scientist. But he's the one that went to Heineck and, and showed him a lot of evidence that 
convinced Heineck that he shouldn't be playing ball with the Air Force. Really, he should be doing, uh, like I said, his own research. And Heineck later became uh, very much an advocate of the UFO reality. I, again, he became a great researcher. Uh, so, yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of support for what Heineck did later on. Linda Moulton Howe. She's a good friend. Uh, she was the one that brought me on the Art Bell Show in 1996. And that's the first time I went on radio to talk about my story. So uh, I owe her a, a debt of gratitude. But she's researched, uh, she's done a lot of good research on many, many aspects of the phenomenon. And I have nothing but respect for Linda. Abelova is a very brilliant scientist, Harvard astronomer, as I understand it. What he's trying to do is get sensors installed. I think he's already got them installed in, at Harvard. I think he might have trouble getting UFOs to fly over the sensors, but, <laughs> but right. he, is, uh, he is working hard to do that, to, to find a scientific way. So I wish him well. I did work with Abby for a little while on his um, project, but... Um, decided to move on, but I, I admire his work. Yeah, Skinwalker is very interesting. A lot of strange things happen have happened there, and uh, I think it's now owned by Brandon Fugel, right? And he has provided a lot of video evidence, I think, testimonials from other people. So, you know, that story is very interesting. Uh, why is it happening there? That's a, that's a very interesting subject. I'm intrigued by it. I did brief Arrow in February. My experience with giving my presentation to Arrow, they were having difficulty coordinating with other agencies. They told me that outright on getting validation of these uh, stories they're being, uh, you know, the interviews they're doing. Let me just say that they could have shown any number of other videos. Um, and I'm not talking about the Tic Tac videos, but uh, many other videos of UFOs. I could provide them with at least two or three that are authentic uh, and would bring up many more questions than, than the one they showed. So, yeah, I thought it was a farce. I thought it was not educational at all. You know, I think most of us knew uh, everything uh, he, uh, Kirkpatrick said. What disappointed me was that there were only three senators and none of them pursued questions after he made his statements, um, such as a statement he made about they have found no evidence of an extraterrestrial presence or an advanced technology. And that's completely false. There is plenty of evidence of advanced technology, like I said, uh, technical analyses, uh, one done by Bruce Maccabee, where he was able to determine the speeds and uh, G-forces of these objects. There's a lot of evidence, uh, like the statement that I just gave you um, about how these objects operated, and, um, and we have no equipment that can do what they can do. It, uh, so... The calculus is very simple about extraterrestrial. If they find or if we find that there's nothing on Earth that has been produced or can be produced to do what they've done, 
been observed doing, then these things must be produced off Earth, extraterrestrial. NASA, I think they're one of the one government agency that is, seems to want to delve into this and discuss it in more detail. But NASA, uh, what they won't talk about probably is the fact that many NASA astronauts have talked about seeing these objects. John Mitchell, there's been others who have, have talked about the reality of UFOs and have actually seen them. I was getting very frustrated during those 29 years uh, that nothing would ever really happen. But just the fact that Arrow has now interviewed, I think at least 12 or more uh, witnesses, and those are official records now, historical records, is a big plus, a big plus, because now the Congress can demand to see those and hopefully release some of those to the public because... For example, my interview was not classified. Neither was that of David Shindeli and other witnesses showing the connection between UFOs and nukes. So I'm very encouraged that things are changing. Now, whether or not how long and whether or not we're going to get information like what government has been doing as far as what they've learned from recovered crafts, which I know that they've recovered and been studying and actually built simulations of those craft and flown them. Uh, I know that's happened. So whether or not the government will release or reveal that to the public is something we're going to have to press for. We're going to have to really push for. So anybody who's listening to this show, just know that this phenomenon is very real. It's very complex. And you can help by educating yourself and then becoming a public advocate for a public disclosure. You've been listening to All Things Unexplained. If you liked this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. If you would like to hear more All Things Unexplained, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our show depends on the support of listeners like you. You can support the show by visiting our Linktree account at linktree.com backslash A-T-U podcast. If you can't get enough of us, please check us out at allthings-unexplained.com. A special thanks to our producer, director, sound mixer, editor, and the man who wears far too many hats. No, seriously, he has a lot of hats. Dr. Tim Mounts. Without you, we couldn't keep the lights on. Thanks for listening to All Things Unexplained.